Please turn together in your Bibles if you would like to follow along to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, and we're going to look again at verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment, as we are studying the Ten Commandments together. Exodus 11, our focus is verse 8 through 11, or sorry, Exodus 20, uh, verse 8 through 11. I'll go ahead and read uh, from the first verse down through verse 12. Once again, please give your careful attention to God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that's where we'll end the reading of God's word. Let's stop and pray together. Father in heaven, please guide us now as we hear your word. Uh, Please give us understanding and faith. Um, Please remind us of how we fall short and why we so treasure Jesus who kept your word, who kept your law fully for us and who has made us righteous in him by faith. And so then, Lord, make us eager to live for him and in him by faith according to your word. And uh, we pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are taking a second look together tonight at the fourth commandment. Uh, Last week, we saw that God calls his people to remember one day in seven as a Sabbath day of rest, uh, because he set it apart from the beginning when he rested from his work of creation. And tonight, we want to see why this commandment does still apply, and uh, on which day, and how exactly God calls us to keep it. This is not going to be the last word on this subject. It's not everything that could be said. There's some complexities here that we won't necessarily get into tonight. But as we listen and consider these things tonight, sometimes for some people when you hear these things, it can almost sound as if your to-do list just got longer. It can almost sound like an added burden. But I hope that we can see that that's not the case. 
The Sabbath is a binding moral commandment. Um, It is a, a duty, but it is also a gift and a blessing. It's a great opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean that it's simple or it's easy. Um, it is countercultural. It does um, run counter to our sinful nature as well. Um, there's a sense in which it asks, asks us to deny ourselves and submit to God's plan. Um, but it does bring great reward and blessing. It's not the perfect example, but it's a little bit like starting a, a new fitness plan and your trainer sets your, your new schedule and your, your diet and your workouts. And that requires some change and some, some discipline. It requires some adjustments and pain and sacrifice. Uh, but it's not a burden, and the trainer is not some cruel taskmaster. He's actually trying to help you and lead you to greater freedom and growth. Well, as those who have been saved by grace... God's law is a positive guide to lead you in new life, a life of joy and blessing and service to him, a life of love for God and love for others, bringing good and bringing glory to God. And so, brothers and sisters, your king commands you, your your father, your savior calls you and invites you to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's think about that more together tonight. And tonight, we want to look at both the positive and negative requirements of this commandment. And the first thing I want us to consider is that God says, you shall do all your work in six days. First, God says, you shall do all your work in six days. Verse 8 and 9 again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The fourth commandment almost says as much about your whole week as it does the one day. It says almost as much about your work as it does about your rest. And this part of the fourth commandment, I think, is often overlooked. The first part of this commandment is your positive duty to work. You shall work. You are made to work. God is saying, follow my example. As I worked for six days to create this world, you are to work in this world. Work was also a creation ordinance given to man, much like rest, uh, the Sabbath. And, and work is a good thing. Now, our, our world views work sometimes at best as a necessary evil. And so often we fall into one of two extremes in regard to work. On the one hand, we can so despise work that we neglect it and we're lazy and we don't work hard or we don't work enough. Sometimes we don't work at all. We see work as a curse and we can adopt a, an entitlement mentality. Um, so we think others can work for us or, or those who have more can pay for our lifestyle. But then on the other extreme, uh, we can overwork, and work becomes an idol, and it can consume us for various reasons. And so we work too much because we worry about the future, or because we want to get ahead, or we want bigger or better toys or vacations. Uh, We want the best that this world can offer. 
Uh, Work becomes the means to an end of entertainment and comfort for self or glory for self. Uh, But the Bible portrays um, a balanced view of work that avoids these extremes. It shows that good, honest, hard work is fundamental to being human. The Bible is also realistic, though. It tells us that work is under the curse. Um, It's impacted by the fall. It's it's hard, and it's wearisome. It wears us out. But it also says that it is necessary, and it's a good part of being human and and being image bearers of God. Uh, Work can be fulfilling and should be done um, for greater purposes and for the glory of God. The Bible also presents a full-orbed view of work. When God says, labor and do all your work in six days, he doesn't just mean your job or your career, uh, the the way in which you might get a paycheck. Um, Part of your good, necessary work is fulfilling the various roles that he's given you. Uh, This may be raising children. It might be caring for your spouse or other family or friends. It might be uh, being a good student, uh, being a good steward of of your property, being a good citizen or neighbor in your community. A part of your work is is caring for yourself, eating, exercising, pursuing hobbies that refresh you and enable you to fulfill your other tasks, Uh, serving those around you. We could go on and on and give examples of work that God calls us to in various roles. It's as if God says, I know you have a lot to do. A life takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And so I'm giving you six days to do all of it. I'm giving you the vast majority of each week. God could have said, well, you get one and I want you to give me six. But he didn't do that. God knows our needs. He knows our limits. Um, He knows we can't work 24-7. And so he says, you work for six, but then rest. Uh, Take six for your necessary work and give me one. You see, the, the keeping the Sabbath, keeping the one, starts really with keeping the six. Uh, Working hard on the six, living orderly, disciplined, hard-working lives in service to God and others. And this actually then helps you be able and be ready to enjoy the one day of rest and worship. A life is meant to have a pattern, a rhythm, uh, an order to it. Uh, the, The pattern of work and rest. And we need both of these. And so I want to ask you tonight, how are you doing? How are you doing in the work that God has called you to? Whatever season of life you may be in. Uh, maybe you don't work for income anymore. Or maybe you work at home. Or maybe you're a, you're a child. And uh, you, there's not a lot of work that you're asked to do right now. But how are you doing in what God has called you to? Are you working hard and getting good and necessary things done in, in the six days God has given you? For that, Or are you working too much? Or perhaps are you, are you being lazy and working too little or, or leaving too much work for the Lord's day? God gives you six days each week to do the work that he's given you to do it hard and to do it well and to his glory. And then you'll be ready to rest. You've been made to work 
But you've been made for more than just work. You're also made for rest and for worship. And that leads us a second tonight to our second point, and that is, you shall remember to keep one day holy. You shall remember to keep one day holy. Look again with me at verse 8 and then 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Bible teaches that the fourth commandment does still apply, and that it applies on the first day of the week. Christians are still obligated to keep it as part of God's permanent moral law. Jesus affirmed and confirmed the whole moral law, but many times, if we were to look at the Gospels, he opposed the twisted and legalistic uh, rules of man, especially the Pharisees. And a lot, they had a lot of rules surrounding the fourth commandment. He cleared away all of that rubble and reaffirmed it, and he actually announced that he had assumed authority over it as the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus on earth, he also showed that acts of necessity and mercy were lawful and proper uses of the Sabbath. But Jesus never revoked the Sabbath. Neither did the Apostle Paul or other New Testament passages. The Apostle Paul does not revoke the Sabbath in places like Galatians 4 or Colossians 2 or Romans 14. Paul is not saying in those passages, we don't have time to look at them tonight, but He's not saying that there's no longer a moral obligation to keep the fourth commandment, one day in seven. Um, he's saying that there's no obligation to keep the Old Testament seventh day Sabbath or the ceremonial Sabbaths of the Old Testament liturgical calendar of feasts. Uh, the particular day of the week for the Sabbath was provisional, and it fit that period of redemptive history in the Old Testament before Christ. But the moral requirement of a day, one day in seven for rest and worship, is permanent, and it's not revoked by Paul or other, other parts of the New Testament. This is why the writer of the Hebrews said in chapter 4, verse 9, that there remains literally a, a Sabbath keeping for God's people. And that's because it was part of the moral law and because there is still a final Sabbath rest to come. There's eternal life, the ultimate Sabbath to come. Now that Christ has come, the Sabbath is kept on the first day of the week. Uh, just as the Old Testament Sabbath was based on God's example of rest on the seventh day, the New Testament Sabbath is patterned after Jesus' rest on the first day when he rose again and entered his rest after finishing his work of redemption. Um, his resurrection on the first day of the week was the beginning of new creation. And thus, the church began to observe the first day as the Sabbath, uh, commemorating Christ's resurrection, uh, when he secured final uh, redemption and new creation for his people, um, acknowledging the fact that he is the one who gives true rest and ultimate rest, um, our, our salvation. And so because Jesus rose on the first day, the 
church began to keep the fourth commandment on that day as the Sabbath day. And we notice that, that many of Jesus' appearances after the resurrection were on the first day of the week. Uh, Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit was on the first day of the week when the disciples were gathered. Um, in Acts 20, we see the church gathered together for worship on the first day of the week. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians to collect offerings on the first day, uh, presumably because that was their day of worship. Uh, we also see the Apostle John refer to it as the Lord's Day in Revelation 1. And so the New Testament church began keeping the fourth commandment on the Lord's Day, the first day, the day of Jesus' resurrection uh, as the Sabbath. And so the, the moral law was not dropped. Uh, the moral principle of a day of rest and worship was applied on a new day that reflected the new era of redemptive history uh, brought about by the pivotal reality of the resurrection of Jesus. There's just not biblical evidence that removes the perpetual obligation of the fourth commandment. And even though it's, it's a complicated um, subject to understand, uh, the church ignores or explains away this commandment to its own peril. Um, the church, when it ignores this commandment, it loses a God-given means of protection and growth and witness and, and mercy and joy. I want you to imagine a, a National Guard unit deciding that it's no longer necessary to set aside a drill weekend each month. Uh, the soldiers are encouraged to train on their own, but the drill weekend is no longer required. It's just optional. You can show up if you want. Well, some might show up, but many will now have, now have an excuse to use that time in another way. But think about the potential long-term effect that might have on a National Guard unit. Is that going to be good for the discipline and skill and strength and effectiveness of that unit? Probably not. Well, in much the same way, if and when the church abandons the Lord's Day, um, forgets or, or excuses the fourth commandment, they give up a most crucial component of their own vitality and strength and growth and distinctiveness as the worshiping people of God. Um, all of a the sudden, there's less time set aside for worship, for learning God's word, for prayer, uh, for fellowship, for growing in grace, for thinking on creation and redemption, eternity. Uh, citizens of heaven uh, can begin to live more like citizens of the world, and it can really have a negative effect. It can weaken the church. It can weaken individual Christians and weaken our witness. It can actually steal our joy because God has set this apart for our good and for our joy. And this is a tactic of the enemy. And we've seen a decline um, in recent years, really the, the last 75 years especially, in the use of this part of God's law. And this is a tactic of the enemy. Convince them worship, rest, Keeping this part of God's law is optional. Now, Satan doesn't want God's army drilling every weekend, so to speak. Spending time in God's word and in worship. He wants them to think that it's a wearisome burden. 
or it's uh, legalistic or old-fashioned. Satan wants our six days to take over the seventh. If he, can, if, he, if he can get Christians to sleep in or to golf or to sit in front of the TV or do homework or manage stocks or, or run their businesses or anything, whatever it might be, to distract them from resting in order to spend focused, set-apart time with God and his people. If he can keep them with their eyes focused on this world, he will do it. And friends, the, the church, and you and I perhaps more than ever, needs to remember this commandment. This day is not just any, like any other day as the world sees it. When the fourth commandment becomes the forgotten commandment, uh, the church will begin to forget uh, creation, redemption, eternity. Uh, God himself, the church will drift And we need to be on guard against that. We need to not neglect this vital gift and duty that God has called us to. Well, third tonight, to keep the fourth commandment, God says, uh, finally tonight, you shall not do any work. You shall not do any work. Look again with me at verse 9 and following. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. You shall not do any work. You have six other days to do all your work. God wants you to actually rest, to put aside other good and necessary tasks and pursuits to lay aside all the things you'd normally give time and attention and energy to and give him your undivided attention. If you can get your work done in the other six days and clear your schedule and set aside um, this day, sorry, if you can't get your work done in the other six days and set aside time, you probably need to think about adjusting your schedule and your workload. Now, a lot of people will hear that and say, well, I can do that. Great. A day off for some, some me time, some lounging. That's not really the point, though. The rest that God is calling us to is a time to cease from the, the cares and everyday practices of life to cultivate our inner life. And we're going to see next time, we're going to look at the Sabbath day one more time together, Lord willing. We're going to see the purpose of the rest is to rest in God and to rejoice in God, um, to delight in and worship him. Yes, there's there's physical rest that we enjoy on this day and that we should enjoy, but it's not merely a passive uh, doing nothing. You can't rest if you are working, if you're thinking about work or preparing for work, or just doing me time or family time, whatever that might be. Now notice Not only are you to rest from your work, as it says here, you're to see to it that others can do so as well. Children, employees, strangers, livestock. Uh, It should be a day off for everyone, a day of rest. Uh, One writer said, here is the world's first worker's bill of rights. God says, don't make others work for you. Let them have a day of rest and worship, even if they don't know the Lord. 
Even if they're a sojourner, let them rest. Be, be a witness to them. Be a blessing to them. Uh, this applies to strangers and even livestock. Um, it's a, to be a society-wide, top-to-bottom moral principle. Now, some will hear this and think, well, that's going to kill the, the economy. That's going to kill business. That's going to hurt my bottom dollar. You know, these more important things. But if you actually, if you study businesses that allow time for rest, they're actually often more efficient and productive, and you can, you can see examples of that. Now, there are certainly works of necessity that still need to be done on this day. Uh, Jesus showed us in his ministry uh, works of mercy and care. Uh, these are good and valid uses of the day. We should take the opportunity to visit the sick and the needy, uh, to, to shovel the sidewalk, perhaps, for an elderly neighbor. Uh, there's health care. There's safety and security work that does need to go on in order to sustain and protect life. Uh, but on the whole, the work that God has given us to do is to cease. Now, a lot of people at this point, um, if, they've been, if they've been following, they'll, they'll start asking, okay, well, what can and can't I do? Uh, give me a list. But that can, that can cause the error, can create the, the error that the Pharisees made. The motive may be good, and you do have to make careful decisions about the day, um, but these can be the wrong questions. I want you to imagine um, it's your wife's birthday, and you're planning how to spend the day together, and you start asking her, okay, uh, what do I need to do to make you happy? What do I need to do to, to fulfill my requirement here? Uh, what do you want me not to do? Am I not allowed to get together with my buddies or, or, or work on the truck? Um, just tell me what I shouldn't do. I think most of the guys in the room are getting the point. You, that, that's, that would not be a good question or questions to ask. You're, you're missing the point. The point is to celebrate and love and enjoy your wife. It's not her birthday every day. The time you get together is important and valuable. Well, the Israelites, when they were first given this command, they didn't ask those questions. They didn't view the day in that way. God was their savior. He had just freed them from Egypt. And you know what they were in Egypt? They were slaves. He had just saved them from slavery. They, they used to have to work every day of the week. They had no day off. When God reminded them of this creation ordinance, this command, this was a gift to them. A day where we don't have to work. This is a gift. Why would they not want to spend the whole day of rest with their Savior, with the Lord their God, the one who had delivered them with a mighty arm? In Deuteronomy 5, when Moses repeated the fourth commandment, he said, this is exactly what it's all about. And there in Deuteronomy 5, he said, You shall remember you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a reminder of freedom. It's meant to actually keep you from being enslaved to this world and enslaved to work. It's meant to remind you of redemption and what God has done for you in Christ, the freedom that you have in Christ, the rest you have in him. 
by resting from your normal work, it gives you a chance to look back, to rest and rejoice in both creation and redemption, and look forward to the fullness of redemption in the world to come. And so, brothers and sisters, let us take this opportunity. Let God set your schedule. Plan ahead. Use this gift. Get your work done so that you can rest and let others rest. Rest because you delight in the Lord as creator and redeemer. Rest because you need it, body and soul. Rest because Jesus rose again and you are a new creation in him. You are alive in him. You are free in him. Well, we've seen God calls you to work hard for six days. And then in obedience to God's commandment, in love for him, he calls you to stop and rest on one day each week, the Lord's day. Using this day not for ordinary things, but for extraordinary things, for worship and fellowship and remembering creation and redemption. This may mean a change of thinking, or perhaps you've, you've known this before, but it, it might call for a um, reorienting and looking back at how you are living, a change of schedule perhaps, a change of heart, a reorienting your life around God and his pattern and his worship. But brothers and sisters, it is worth it. Your God loves you. Um, he wants your love. He's redeemed you in Christ by grace. And he wants you to rest and to rejoice in that. He wants your worship. He wants your undivided attention and devotion. He wants you to be more like his son. He wants the world to see who you belong to and who you delight in. And so, brothers and sisters, by faith, by the grace of God in Christ, as those who've been set free from sin and death, with joy and gratitude and love, Follow your Lord. Work, rest, remember his day, remember his salvation, remember the rest that you've been given in Jesus, and rejoice and be refreshed and greatly blessed to his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us one day in seven um, to set our hearts and minds on things above, um, to seek first your kingdom, to, to rest body and soul, and to rejoice in you, to delight in the rest that we have in Jesus, to look forward to the eternal rest that is yet to come, to remember your great work of creation. Um, Father, we struggle to do these things. We fall short. Um, Lord, we easily slip into various extremes. And we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would fix our eyes on Jesus and that you would cause us to delight in you and walk in your ways to your glory and for our good and for our witness to this world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do these things in us for your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.